A shred-heavy metal track fit for a world champion. A hard-hitting rock song built on a classic riff. And a song that features the first documented air guitar performance. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. And this is, albeit, a little bit of a delayed episode. Took the week off last week to uh, do a little battle with COVID, but we're back, we're feeling good, and we've got a brand new episode digging into our favorite air guitar songs. We've got three tracks that will make you want to mimic your favorite guitarist, and joining me for this deep dive into some imaginary shredding is, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaley, and guitarist, producer, and content creator, Dre Demura. Dre is a world-class guitarist and digital creator. On TikTok, he has racked up over 60 million video views and as a performer has played in arenas around the world, opening for artists like Chevelle, Three Days Grace, Under Oath, and Breaking Benjamin. He is also an accomplished writer with music placements on CBS and Showtime and frequently published written works in industry dailies like Hypebot, Sonic Bids, The ASCAP Daily Brief, and The Left Set's Letter. And folks, if you want to learn anything, and I mean anything, in the world of music, you got to head to soundfly.com. We have some incredible courses on some very extensive topics like harmony, production, songwriting, sound design, mixing, anything you can think of, with some incredible artists like Kimbra, RJD2, Calm Trues, Kiefer, and Jay Lynn. And we're about to add to our course offerings next week with a brand new artist series course. We'll have much more information for you on this big news in our next episode, but for now, I'll leave you with a little hint. If you've seen the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, I mean, it's an incredible flick. Go see it if you haven't. You might want to check out who made the music for that film. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That is more than enough out of me, so without further ado, let's get into the episode, Air Guitar Songs. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Joining me, of course, is Mahaya Lee. Mahaya, right up off the mat from about with COVID. You're, you're, oh, we're back at it. That's, that's like my personal life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but... Yeah, I'm back. I don't know. I'm, a little, I'm a little raspy, but I'm back. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we bring it up, because we both sound probably like... Because I sound different. cooler than normal, and you want to explain... Yeah, why does Mejia sound cool. cooler than normal? Glad, well, glad you, you know, know that. speaking of people that sound extremely cool all the time, uh, the one, the only joining us for this episode, a guitarist and producer, Dre Demura. Dre, how we doing? I'm unstoppable. <laughs> how are you? How are you guys? I, I am less <laughs> unstoppable than, than I once thought, but uh, dude, I'm so, so excited for this. We're talking air guitar songs. You know, <laughs> weird kickoff question. Hey, I don't know if you're even going to have this because you're, you're a piano player, but just your, your earliest memory of playing the air guitar. Uh, for me, it was definitely Smooth by Santana with <laughs> Rob Thomas. Uh, yeah, that was, I guess I was six maybe or five or six when that album came out and uh, we took a lot of road trips when I was a kid, so I remember being in the car, and and that one would be on, and I would like kick along, like kind of drum along. That you know, that's funny about the theme being air guitar and mm -hmm. me being a guitarist is that I tend to actually air drum more than I air guitar. <laughs> drum sense. drums was kind of like my first instrument that I messed around on, so I still kind of like air drum a lot of stuff, but um, I would like air drum smooth in the car and then there was a guitar at home that i i couldn't play but i like air guitared with the guitar to to try to be santana i like dressed up <laughs> i would put the bandana on and put the oh, cd on the and bandana then I, and everything? I had the bandana oh, and everything yeah that's amazing the closest thing i have is <laughs> my left foot 
<laughs> is a difficult thing for me to control when I listen to or play music. Mm. Like it's the only part of my body that really like has an invol or in, I guess it's an involuntary response to anything. Dre, you had a lot of, of honorable mentions you wanted to, to touch on. What were some of the picks? Yeah. What were you thinking here? So, uh, you know, there's the obvious ones and they're obvious because they're great. You know, like as my, I, I, you know, I was tempted to pick something like new and eclectic, like go with something by like Polyphia or Matea Sassato or Yvette Young, like. Neo, you know, instrumental guitar stuff or things that are kind of pushing the envelope. Um, and then you go to all the cliches, right? You have like Hot for Teacher and oh, Sweet yeah. Child of Mine, which, yeah. you know, might be like the air guitar moment or Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, there's Boston, More Than a Feeling. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. such a great air guitar song, wow. especially like not only the, the solo, yeah. but the riffs and, and everything else. You have Enter Sandman. There would be, you know, tons of 80s stuff, 90s stuff, Seven Nation Army, you uh, know, although I kind of think of that Hendrix. as more of like a, yeah, I kind of think of that as more as like a stadium chant song. Yeah. It's not as much of yeah. an air guitar song. It's more, oh, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there were so many that I could hone in on. Um, but I decided that instead of going with what was obvious because, you know, it might be a song that non-musicians or non-guitarists would air guitar to, I went with a pick that felt personal to me, you know, where the... Because to me, what, what leads you to air guitar is that the sound ignites something in you that you express that mm. physically, right? Almost like a dance. So it's mm -hmm. like what makes you dance, you know? And, and uh, I decided to pick something that was much more, you know, personal to me where the first time I heard it, like the sound of it ignited, like lit that fire in me that just made me move my body and, and mime along, you know, whether I knew what I was doing or not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's listen to some music. Let's listen to our first selection of the episode. Happens to be my pick. And then we'll slide into Dre's pick and, and wrap things up as we usually do with Mejia's. Uh, I'm excited for all of them. Here's our first selection of the episode. Listen to Hit the Lights from Metallica from their debut record, Kill Em All. Of course, this record also features, you know, the Four Horsemen, Jump in the Fire, Seek and Destroy, uh, Cliff Burton's incredible bass solo track, uh, Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. couple of other just random fast facts on this this track <laughs> apparently and this is from like a metallica wiki uh fan page um this was the first metallica song ever written uh james hetfield originally wrote the song with his old band leather charm um oh. which which metallica i think is is an upgrade in in band names for james for sure but uh and later when he formed metallica with lars ulrich the two worked on the song and arranged it uh, into what eventually became the album album version of the track. Dave Mustaine, who uh, was originally a member of Metallica, uh, played the original guitar solo uh, on the original recording of Hit the Lights. It doesn't appear on this record, uh, of Kill it doesn't. Em All. Uh, <laughs> that's Kirk Hammond, of course. Mustaine, I have to mention, of course, if anybody's not familiar with, with the, the saga of Dave Mustaine and Megadeth and Metallica, Dave Mustaine is in Metallica, the early 80s, and he has a pretty, pretty heavy drinking problem, like more so than even what like it meant to be in a metal or rock band at the time. Um, he was fighting with everybody in the band. I think there was just a lot of stuff kind of kind of coming up and he wasn't working out in Metallica. And one night they're they're from San Francisco, Bay Area, California. They're on tour playing shows in Queens, New York. 
Mustang gets way too drunk. The band decides he's out of the band. Like they they kick him out. They put him on a Greyhound bus while he's completely like blacked out <laughs> drunk. And he comes to somewhere in the Midwest on his way back to the Bay Area. And it dawns on him that he has been uh, kicked out of Metallica, which is just an insane way for that to happen. The craziest thing about all this, though, is like you get kicked out of a massive band and then you start a band on your own from scratch and it becomes also massively popular in Megadeth. That is that's always blown my mind. I think it's something, too, that for me, you know, and maybe you could speak to this, like growing up in the you know, kind of coming of age in the early 2000s, that's when, you know, Some Kind of Monster, which is the, yeah. the documentary that kind of details the rift between Metallica and Dave Mustaine Megadeth and goes through some therapy and rehab and repair of that relationship. It's it's a pretty interesting slash tough slash almost <laughs> reality TV level laughable watch. Um, but, you know, seeing that firsthand, like that being a, a current event, when uh, when I was getting into music and starting to play guitar and stuff, like it, it definitely meant something. And mm-hmm. I, I guess it's not as relevant now. And I know they've done a lot to kind of patch up the relationship. They obviously had the the big four uh, tour and shows that they did, where you know Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer, and Metallica all played together. Um, but yeah, that was like a big, big deal for a while. It's so interesting that we went from Metallica right to Megadeth in conversation. Because I feel like they're like two sides of the same coin. And even on the, the, the first Megadeth record, there are versions of these songs from Kill 'Em All, of, yeah. of the Metallica songs, songs mm-hmm. that Dave co-wrote that he went and re-recorded um, and released you know, on the first Megadeth album, I think the same year or the year after. Uh, like, you know, the mechanics, the Megadeth song is the yeah. Four Horsemen. Lars Ulrich as a drummer, time is merely, I don't know if it's even a concept, it, it's merely like a, a suggestion for, for Lars Ulrich, I think. I think he's he's an incredible drummer in that he has a drummer persona, and he is a mega, mega, mega star as a musician, but when you listen to his playing, not to slag Lars Ulrich's playing, like who am I to do that, but like, it's super loose. It's so, so, so loose. There's, um, you know, there's that bar three in the chorus that we'll listen to together in a second that it, it's just a bar three and it, it's kind of like the, then there's a couple moments in this track that do this, but it's like a triplet figure where you're playing on the front and the back end of it, but it still doesn't quite line up. Like if you were to transcribe this, you'd have to kind of, it would be very frustrating, I think, to try and notate. Uh, so I'd like to play just that moment for you guys. It, it happens a few times, but here's one of them. You know, you do something wrong consistently and it becomes it correct. You know, like it that's what you're used to hear and that's what you expect out of Metallica and, and out of Lars's drumming style. Like it's funny you bring up that the drag and also like the triplet thing. I'm thinking of his drum fills, which are like very, very loose. And he tends to also play over the bar and then he falls on the t- or accents on the two, which is something that like obviously musicians do you know, part of an arrangement, like it's a really cool way. Like day, that, that new Harry Styles song, Daylight, has the, the chorus drop is on the two. Daylight, The biggest thing though for me with this track and the real reason why I selected it for this episode is a little thing called the Air Guitar World Championships. It's really hard to find. I was like, I'm going to find what 
like the most common song used at the Air Guitar World Championships has been. And it's really can hard we guess? to find. You can guess, but it, I don't have the answer. It like it doesn't, it's really hard to find oh. that information because I, I think just for like fair use of, of the tracks, um, a lot of videos <laughs> don't exist. But I found a set from uh, a, a little guy that goes by the name of Nordic Thunder uh, as a when he competes a in the Air name. Guitar World Championship. <laughs> uh, an American by the name of Justin Howard who won the 2012 Air Guitar World Championships as well as the 2021 World Championships. He, as far as I can um, tell in my research, he's the only person to have two world titles. So I was pretty stoked to like let's see what what's let's see what Nordic Thunder is up to. This song was the first. Uh, track in his set and he absolutely crushes it uh, when you know in, in the video that I saw um, so let's get into just a, some fast facts about the air guitar world championship um, this is on the site uh, for for the championships it's uh, it says that the purpose of the air guitar world championships is to promote world peace uh, according to the competition ideology wars will end climate change will stop and all bad things will vanish when all the people in the world play the air guitar. Uh, that's why everyone is invited at the end of the competition to play the air guitar all at once to save the world. Um, awesome. Scott Very, Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah. Part of the Ulu August Festival in Ulu, Finland. Just the fact that this exists is incredible. Now, I tried to find how is this competition judged? And the actual world championships don't have the criteria, but the U.S. National Air Guitar Championships, which you need to win if you want to get to the Worlds, <laughs> uh, they have these uh, three criteria that you are judged on based on your air guitar performance. The first one is technical merit. You don't need to know what notes you're playing, but the more your invisible fretwork corresponds to the music that's playing, the better the performance. I think we can all agree with that. That's fantastic. <laughs> criteria number two, stage presence. Anyone can do it in the privacy of their bedroom. Few have what it takes to rock a crowd of hundreds or even thousands, all without an instrument. And now number three, my favorite, is simply airness. Uh, the last criteria <laughs> is the most difficult to define, yet often the most decisive of, of all. Airness is defined as the extent to which a performance transcends the limitation of a real guitar and becomes an art form in and of itself. But wait, I just Googled this while you were talking because I can multitask. The winner gets a guitar. I don't know why that's necessary. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of passive aggressive. That's, it's very <laughs> passive aggressive. And I, I love that. I, I was, Vice has like a, I think a few even kind of like mini docs on, oh, on sure these. And um, it's worth checking out. Um, it's really cool. A lot of very different eclectic people uh, have won this championship. Um, yeah, they have you know, sick nicknames. Seven really Seas, do. the Marquis, Aristotle, yeah. your daddy. The, just the last thing on this on this track, though, in why air guitar. It's just perfect for air guitars. Plenty of moments of headbanging. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's fast, but it's not insanely fast. Like it, it's manageable if you want to get the first criteria, technical merit down, and you don't play guitar. I think you can figure it out uh, for your for your air guitar competition entry. Um, there's plenty of riffs in unison, so air bassists can also join in on on the fun on this. Kirk Hammett uh, using the wah pedal. That's a great air guitar trick because you do that thing with your mouth, like the wah, like all, whenever you're playing. And it ends with some huge hits after the lengthy, lengthy solo section. So I think the arrangement of the track ends with a bang, which is exactly what you need if you're trying to get those airness points uh, <clears throat> in your in your air guitar competition. That's it for Hit the Lights. Let's uh, let's dive into our next selection for the episode. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. I got a 
Yes, Dre. Anybody out there that doesn't know, what are we listening to? That is Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. You know, I picked this song because it's one of the first Zeppelin songs that I heard, and I had gotten into, you know, more into guitar music through Guitar Hero, actually, which is coming up in, like, every one of my interviews is there's this whole generation coming of age now that was, like, born and bred on the Guitar Hero games. You know, maybe where our parents or even grandparents um, were, you know, air guitaring and practicing their moves in front of the mirror, I feel like our generational version of air guitar was playing the, the songs on Guitar Hero and then learning to play them in real life. Um, but Led Zeppelin notoriously doesn't license their music, so they wouldn't, you know, give up their masters essentially for uh, Guitar Hero because, you know, in Guitar Hero, in order to, to map the guitar track and have it cut out, if you make a mistake, you're not playing along, they need to have the multi-track recordings for the songs. Um, and Jimmy Page was very guarded with giving up the multi-track. So I had been playing the Guitar Hero games and gotten really into like Ozzy and um, Iron Maiden was like my favorite band. And then I fell into Led Zeppelin. And one of the first songs I heard was Black Dog. And I didn't even know what to make of it truly because it followed that like call and response, you know, riff riff rock thing that I wasn't really hip to yet. So like hearing that for the first time was like confusing and also exhilarating. Um, and it just stuck with me, man. And, and that album, you know, to me is like probably, you know, I think it's the best rock album ever made, you know, Led Zeppelin four, like it's four. the quintessential yeah. rock album, kind of like this, the, the the peak the pinnacle of just like straight ahead you know rock with so much light and shade though you know like it's not just the heavy hitters you have like battle of evermore and and going to california on there and you know sludgy down tempo you know when the levee breaks and obviously have stairway to heaven and and you know rock and roll and black dog and like it just runs the entire gamut and it has so much like magnetism and electricity and mystique to it and i think that rock rock music like hits you know, hits you viscerally, like it's a gut punch and you feel it like in your hips and in your, in your belly, you know, but, and like, yep. there's other music that you feel like more cerebrally and, and you enjoy, you know, in other ways. But to me, like great rock, heavy music is going to hit you like deep, deep down in the furnace, you know? So that's how it makes me feel. And that's why I love it. Dude, this, I'm also just born like, um, our, how this, this track is kind of transcended stuff. It's just hitting me now. RJD2 breaks this down in his course that he did on Soundfly. Like the the incredible like hip hop producer. This mm -hmm. song was such a big influence on him. So I, I want to make sure I mention that. But like this, this riff. I not to I only reason I can, like because Cliff Burton is like is also like on the Mount Rushmore of of rock and metal bass players, is no doubt. But as far as writers and composers. John Paul Jones, probably the most underrated in the era, in the genre. Um, Even as a bass player, I feel like people outside of the muso world don't fully appreciate yeah. how much he adds to the band and also mm. kind of how brilliant and clean his playing is. You know, like oh, his God, his yeah. biggest influence was was Mingus and, yeah. and James Jamerson from the Funk Brothers. Um, and if you listen like on, you know, Ramble On or whatever, like the mm. way that he plays syncopated to the beat is actually what gives the music its kind of life outside of just the the kind of, you know, stressed drumming of John Bonham and then like the, the guitar playing of Jimmy Page early. I wanted to touch on um, after this riff, so after this first riff, mm -hmm. um, it's funny how the theme here has kind of become about time uh, <laughs> instead of, you know, strictly all oh, these great, you know, air guitar moments or whatever. Um, but I wanted to kind of as the through line from from Hit the Lights into this is that, you know, I know Soundfly or Flypaper has had the incorrect music series for a while, mm -hmm. you know, looking mm -hmm. for like kind of where where the creation, the innovation comes from the, you know, a little bit of rule breaking. Um, and when you listen to this song, um, this, this groove kind of rolls or the, the riff kind of rolls over the groove, um, when the riff changes from the, when it goes in the, yeah. 
where those accents are over the straight ahead 4-4 drum beat creates this really, really interesting syncopation. Uh, it's still in four, but it kind of rolls over in a way that like objectively is not necessarily correct. Like I don't think anyone with you know classical training would sit there and write that. I mean, you can't not air guitar to any any Led Zeppelin track. And yeah. there were a lot of other tracks that I, I considered, you know, like Heartbreaker would be one ooh, that, you know, ooh, just not yeah. only the riff, yeah. but also the solo and, and the whole solo section, actually, even when the band comes in and um, it just hits so hard. But, you know, the, the, the lead break um, at the end of actually before the lead there, the riff repeats with this great harmony. Yeah. Um, at 3.05, yeah. Oh yeah. if you want to put that on. Yeah, so you have a, you know, like a major third yeah. uh, static harmony over essentially a minor pentatonic. And we were kind of talking about that earlier, the, the minor and the major pentatonic thing. You have this, you know, major harmony that is essentially like, um, I mean, it's like a parallel harmony um, to this riff. And that's something that, I mean, is used so much now in... In all sorts of, you know, bell bottom, gene, rock and roll, heavy, fuzzy. <laughs> well, it has like a similar beer commercial thing to music. That, like, <laughs> to that, like playing high in a solo thing. Like when things happen in tandem, like in that parallel way, yeah. people get really excited. Like it's the most amazing musical moment of a song. And I, like it, it gives us that. It feels synchronized and, and wonderful. And you know what's <laughs> funny about that moment is that if you're air guitaring this song and you air guitar that moment, you're going to change what you're air guitaring from how you've been air guitaring the rest of the riff throughout the song, right? Totally. So now you're going to like, you're going to scrunch your face up a little bit more and you're yeah. going to move your hand up, you know, because you're, you're actually, now you're adding that higher part, <coughs> you know, like it, and it also, it also signals the transition, I think in the song, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it is such like a repetitive, um, you know, sort of rolling dirge from, from, you know, the beginning until this point where like, this is okay. You know, here's something new being introduced, and then we're going to go into this, you know, guitar solo at the end, which is my favorite. Interestingly mixed guitar solo too. I mean, from from that era, it's like '71. It, it's different, but it's just like it's it's so far in the back for like a solo feature, which I, I love because it still lets like everything else that the track is built, the like awesome rhythmic foundation and just the drive and the energy to it still be super present and prevalent in it. But like the guitar that's something solo that Jimmy there. Page talks about too that he actually. You know, we're we're saying earlier, like do something enough, and it just becomes the the standard. Um, you know, having the bass part actually be louder than the guitar in a lot of sections, because you know, being a very musical guitarist and and a producer, um, you know, I think he understood the importance of having the bass. Again, kind of a progenitor of modern mixes, which are all you know, low end and low mids, you know, as an air guitar section, it, you know, it's so far behind the beat at times. Um, it's got this like real lazy feel, um, which I think is awesome. Cause you can really like dig into all those notes and, and even the palette, like the sonic palette of how the solo is constructed. Um, especially when it reaches that higher register, you know, at that kind of climax section. And again, this is all minor pentatonic scale. Um, but so different in its expression and execution than, say, how like Kirk used it on Hit the Lights. And um, I guess that, that speaks to how versatile it, it can still be, even though it's sometimes written off as like very rudimentary. The, the overarching you know, story that that solo tells is so brilliant. It begins with this repeating riff and then it evolves and then it actually concludes with that repeating riff as it 
kind of fades out. Like there is a clear beginning, middle and end to it. Jimmy Page, a lot of people like the way that they would write off Lars or Kirk or, you know, a lot of other musicians that have detractors gets written off. It's like you know, people say, oh, he's sloppy and yeah. he's this and he's that. And you're, you're really just missing the point, you know, and it's funny how like I don't know when music became a, like a technical competition, but um, that's not what makes music. You know, like I, I got into a conversation at a bar the other night with these guys that were in a band. They're in a metal band. And they're spending like, you know, a lot of time on this new record or something. And they're talking to me about it. And they're just like disagreeing with everything I had to, to offer about, you know, musical philosophy. Fine. And they start debating, you know, the finer points of guitar players like Kirk Hammett and, and like Jimmy Page with me. And like, what, why? What could have, you know, it, what? Because it's bad. And just like talking a lot of shit. And I was just like, dude, you are so far yeah. off the mark of one why we make music and two, why people listen to music. You know, people aren't listening for that. They're listening because they want to feel something. They want to be moved, you know, and Jimmy Page's playing is moving. You know, the fact that you have feelings about it, <laughs> even to the contrary, shows that, you know, like if you listen to Heartbreaker, if you listen to some of the live stuff, like that's all feel like he's a total cat. You know, you can find examples of Jimmy Page, like, playing insanely technically proficient stuff and nailing it like in the studio or when he would do like black mountainside white summer live on the dana electro guitar sitting down and playing you know this burt janch style um you know dad gad open tuning stuff like incredibly proficient very accurate He understood that, you know, there was a transcendent quality to making music that that had the electricity to move people. And it was less about, you know, technical proficiency for the sake of proficiency. And it was more about, you know, having something to say. So I, I really value players like that. And I'm a very technical guy, too. Like I I was like, you know, I cut my teeth on Ingve and Paul Gilbert and Eric Johnson <laughs> and Steve Vai and, yeah. um, you know, all that stuff. And, and that's, you know, a huge part of my playing. Um, but that's also like such a, you know, none of those players feel that way about guys like Jimmy Page or, yeah. or Kirk. Like those guys understand. And if you actually listen to those players, all of them now are doing like a lot of very experimental kind of loose stuff because, you know, you have to learn how to, you know, play like a child. Like you're saying with Lars, like sometimes you have to have that like loose enigmatic spark. You know, it's the thing that eludes you know, the perfection, you know, it's not, it's not made to be hung up in a museum, you know, like this is like a, a raw sort of bile of expression. It's like, it, there's so much more to it. Like there's guitarists who you think of as guitarists and there's guitarists who you think of as musicians, if that makes any sense, mm. you know, like I'd much be, I'd, I'd much rather be considered a good all around musician than like a great pianist. Cause like. You should lead the pod with that quote. That's brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, like in his case, like he can hear a song for what it needs, which is like, no offense, Dre, but it, it's not the most common trait for a guitarist to have in the way that it, it is very common among bass players who, like you were saying, have a tendency to be very kind of like giving in how they interact with the rest of an ensemble. Yeah, none taken. I, I'm, I'm wholly in agreement. I tend to and think And I do that, think you are a guitarist yeah. who, who can fall on that like Jimmy Page side of things where it's like, it's not always about you. But sometimes only you could bring that thing that that song needed. And I think he is that. Plus, like, in terms of air guitar, it's mostly a visual medium. <laughs> and Jimmy Page is just very cool to look at when he plays. Like, who wouldn't want to mimic Jimmy Page when they were playing air guitar, you know? Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, to bring it, to bring it, to bring it home. Yeah. As far as the air guitar moments in this song and in any Led Zeppelin song, yeah. you know, Jimmy was a great showman. Uh -huh. And also the faces that the he hair. makes and <laughs> has become such a quintessential part of the air guitar toolkit. Mm -hmm. um, the way a you know, jacket the, the, falls on the, his body. Like. <laughs> the OG duck face. Yeah. You know, he, he is the archetypical, like, tall, lean, and, 
seemingly strung out looking sweaty, pale, pasty uh, yeah. guitar player with the delicate fingernails that just spends a lot of time in their bedroom noodling around to record. If he was young today, he'd carry yeah. a moleskin in his pocket <laughs> the whole team. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's it's all attitude, you know? What do we have the pleasure of listening to? We are listening to the Joe Cocker cover of the Beatles song with little help from my friends. Um, That was the Live at Woodstock version recorded in, obviously, 1969. No, this is the Joe Cocker song with a little help from my friends that the Beatles happened to record (laughs) first. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I get by with a little help. Yeah, actually, on that subject, this version, or the studio version of this arrangement, I should say, was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, which is an honor that has not been bestowed upon the original version. There are a very select few covers that I think have had lives as big as the originals. You know, Hallelujah, maybe Birdie's cover of Skinny Love, the Bon Iver song. I can't even think of another one I'd put in that sort of category. I Will Always Love You. Oh, Whitney yeah, Houston. Yeah. yeah. That song's by Dolly Parton. I feel like this could be the lead track of an entirely other episode, which could be, you know, cover songs that are better than the original. And I'm a huge Beatles fan. I mean, better. Diehard Beatles fan. <laughs> I'll go to bat for that. I think that this, this version is the quintessential version of the song. Yeah. I'm actually not surprised to hear you say that, because do you know who arranged this? You, you tell I think I know. I think based on what you were saying in the last segment, it's... Go ahead, though. The original studio version of this, which is almost identical to the live version we were just listening to, was arranged by a pre-Zeppelin Jimmy Page. That's awesome. He's not playing guitar on the live version, though. Who is playing guitar? Henry McCullough. McCullough. I can never be convinced I've said people's last names right. Um, He went on to play with Paul McCartney's Wings for two years. That's a nice coincidence, sort of. Um, and he's also, he's the voice that's, he's the voice at the end of Money on the Dark Side of the Moon that says, I don't know, I was really drunk at the time. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and he played on the UK original studio album for the for Jesus Christ Superstar as well. So he had really? quite a guitar career himself. Then a pretty good career. Yeah, everybody in this group did. I believe he's also on the cover of Band on the Run. And I don't... Is he? You might have to fact check me on that. But you know who's also on that cover, if you look closely enough? Who? Sir Christopher Lee. The actor. Why? Saruman. <laughs> yeah. Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, Count yeah, Dooku. But, but why? <laughs> I guess they had a, a party, and Paul wanted to do the uh, cover shoot at this party, but everyone got, <laughs> you know, twisted. And he couldn't get anyone to like stand still or pose long enough for the photo. So a bunch of the, I mean, the band and a couple party guests um, were like just against this That's wall, funny. like hanging on to each other and goofing off. And he, that photo is the one that he snapped that became the cover. It's I like wonder a total if he had fluke. like Sergeant Peppers in his head, you know, just being like, album peppers <laughs> yeah. with people on them are cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's lots of Beatles connections on this. Um, in addition to the obvious, it's a cover of one of their songs. The guitarist Henry McCullough also um, went on to do uh, to release an album under George Harrison's label. So, yeah, coming in hot with the with the trivia. Yeah, a lot of fast. Can I facts. ask a question, or am I? You yeah. can ask as many questions as you like. Oh, okay. I might have the answer. <laughs> yeah. So you you were really quick once we settled on this theme. Mm-hmm. You were really quick to respond with you your pick. Yeah, dialed yeah. in. I do. So. Not being a guitarist, I got to be real with you. When Carter was like, these are the two themes that we're thinking about. I kind of had a, there's not a lot I can bring to those themes, especially in the company of people who play more like guitar shredder music and also blues and, you know. Um, So I started by looking up a history of air guitar. And I very quickly found out that it is largely speculated that this 1969 Woodstock performance 
is like the first um like well documented performance in a large in front of a large audience of air guitar because joe because cocker joe is cocker doing performs. air guitar on stage mm-hmm. that's and he, right he's known for this right like he like he would use these strange gestures when he performed that looked kind of like it was like dancing but it was dancing as though you were maybe on something like people, people <laughs> thought he was on drugs because he moved so strangely and stuff um he in an interview with the guardian said that a lot of it came down to the fact that he had frustrations at not being a pianist or guitarist what do you do with your body? Like, how do you respond physically in the way that those guys get to? So he would emulate those things just kind of without thinking about it. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. So he was just trying to get, like, he was trying to get his emotions, like, out (laughs) physically. And it became air guitar. I love that. Because when you sent that, I was like, oh, great pick. And not something (laughs) that I would have thought of either. Because because... it's not shreddy. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this isn't a song maybe in like the modern guitar hero that has like lumineer stuff on it this would be yeah, we were there, but it's not like a yeah. from our childhood guitar shredders guitar song song you know um, we, we've talked about this many times and the other theme that we considered with dre was guitar hero songs not specifically necessarily songs right out of versions of guitar hero but Every time I get a chance, I have to share my utter disappointment, bordering <laughs> on disgust, at the track list for Whoa, like the most disgust. recent, the most recent Guitar Hero it's that we not got. The most recent anymore? No, it's probably not. But whatever one it was, like 2017 or something, horrible. It, it was. It, it should be like horrible. Meant, it just wasn't Guitar Hero stuff. It wasn't Guitar. You want to shred on a Guitar yeah. Hero song. You don't want to play mandolin. Nothing There's against mandolin. <laughs> That's not why I'm picking up a Guitar Hero video game. Wow, Mumford and Sons and the Lumineers and like, come on, Great bands you, out of place. You're there. better than but, that. But that uh, was already. But that stuff is already games. dated by 2017, which is funny that yeah. the yeah. company would make the decision to what become more widely marketable yeah, by it, by leaning on this stuff that was already like six or seven years out of date at that point. And nothing against that music, but that is a very funny it's choice. It's a strange choice. Yeah. But that's also the version of the game where they introduced um, the like the video footage of live musicians. Audience, yeah, yeah, and, and like, audience uh, members. Yeah. But like, oh. and they and the the musicians respond to you as you play. So like, <laughs> yeah. like if you yeah. just take your hands off the guitar, they get really pissed off. <laughs> and I watched it, and I was like, a. It is my new ambition to be in one of those bands in a future version of Guitar Hero. B, this feels a little too real right now. Another bone to pick, though, that that brings it up. If you're making yeah. faces on stage, like one, the, yeah, audience doesn't, the audience doesn't know that mistakes are happening until the band starts, like, getting on people's case. That's so stupid. <laughs> That's so stupid. Absolutely. You know what my uh, favorite is? When, when you're a guitar player and you, you really, you must something really bad. You just like look down at your pedal board or you drop to your knee and start like messing with a cable or a pedal to be like, yeah. you know, one of my one of my pedals broke. No, you just played the wrong note. <laughs> so, yeah, I love the pick because I and it's not that I don't think that air guitar moments have to be shreddy. In fact, I think that the most widely, you know, probably widely circulated air guitar moments are not shreddy. They're more lyrical, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, yeah. they're going to be moments that the every the every person is able to 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 connect to and also kind of there's some mimicry. I mean, if it's too if it's too technical, then people are just going to be like, "Oh, they're going to mentally shut down." But this is yeah, like, exactly. Like it is interesting because it like and when you were talking about Jimmy Page and it just I was like, "Yay, I'm excited. This is going to carry over." I wouldn't guess a guitarist arranged this song because it's not putting a spotlight on the guitar, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's awesome. Back to my little history thing, though. Even though this may be the beginning of what we think of as air guitar in, like, a public forum, the actual term didn't enter the popular vernacular until the 80s. So Joe Cocker's way ahead of his time. <laughs> nice. In a lot of ways, but also that Which is one. no surprise that, it, <laughs> no. you know, that was the uh, era where air guitar became a you know, bona fide mm-hmm. term. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Absolutely. was the era of the celebrity guitarist. I might, I missed it by a couple years, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I have so many random facts about this song. It was such an interesting thing to, to look into. And also Joe Cocker, like he's one of those musicians where it's like, I love his voice. I love everything I've ever heard of his for some reason. I knew very little about him until you picked this theme. 
This is a cover that I think really helped his career take off. Paul McCartney and the other Beatles also made it publicly known that they really liked this cover, and I'm sure that helped it become as big and successful as it was. That doesn't. They knew it was better than than their version, so they had to they had to get out in front of it. I mean, it's cool. I have a little list of things that make it different from the original. The core and the soul of the song is still there, but the liberties that were taken are also innovative and tasteful, and this is good arranging. <laughs> right away, time signature is different, right? Although, given that you guys have played more music in this vein, I did want to get your opinion on 12-8 as a time signature in general. It's something that we associate a lot with, like, shuffles. It makes sense that it's not 4-4 four, because four, you have that, like, triplet feel. Why 12-8 rather than 6-8 in any situation in your minds? That's a great question. Yeah, I think it's where the big beats land. The feel of the bigger pulse is there's a 4 to it. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the subdivision of three within that, so giving it the 12. So like phrasing? Yeah, phrasing. That's so interesting. Um, Hey, this song, though, in in air guitarness, like what I want to know, I guess, yeah, where where does it fit into being? It's an obvious choice in some ways, though, right? Well, in the the beginning of it, for sure, it's got that. Well, and it's the whole, it's the soul of of what air guitar is. Like, even when you're reading that somewhat. you know, ambiguous, descriptive uh, statement from the World Air Guitar Championships or the Air Guitar <laughs> World Championships or whatever yeah. it was called, you know, like Joe Cocker is saying, he moved like that because like the music was basically in his body. And I think mm. that is in many ways what air guitar is like, like, I don't know, like, you know, when you're learning a hard piece of music, you kind of might sit and like sort of play it on your like knee or like on a desk or something. But it, it that's not playing an air instrument to me that's the different mental thing i associate air guitar more with like i'm gonna play this thing that i cannot in this moment actually play whether it's because there's no instrument within reach or because i don't have the capabilities and the skills to like it allows you to express the thing you're hearing and feeling even though you're not equipped to do that in like the obvious literal traditional Mm. sense and if you think about guitar or air guitaring you're not just moving your hands mm-hmm. you're not mm. just miming along it's you're it's a whole body thing right like yeah. we said earlier like it's a dance so it really is a channel like you become a channel for the music and it's more than just you know moving your hands around a, an imaginary guitar like you, no one just stands still and maybe if you're doing buddy holly or something you know? <laughs> nobody, just, nobody stands still air and, and air guitars with their hands it's a whole body thing you get in the rock stance you're head banging you're whipping around you know what's you know? interesting too i feel like even even the people in your life who claim they are not musical they're like i can't carry to you and i can never learn blah blah when they play air guitar like some of your instincts are musical. It's like it's getting at that musical human. We all inevitably have something in us that understands and connects with music mm-hmm. and allowing you to do something with that connection and that energy. I'm saying this like I like love air guitar. And to be honest, it just you're, hasn't, like, you're it's a big, big part of my life. Air guitarist, so. <laughs> Singing along to a song does require that you know some of the lyrics or that you know the melody. Like air guitar is something you can do the first time you hear a song and not feel self-conscious about it. You know, like you're going to make a mistake or something. Um, It's not so much like this is a guitar part that I want to play air guitar to. It's that that sentiment from Joe Cocker is, I think, the thing we all feel when we play air guitar. Awesome. 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 Awesome picks to you both. And I I think an awesome pick for myself as well on this episode. (laughs) Uh, Dre, you're an incredible guitarist, composer, producer, so many things, instructor. What are you up to these days, man? Uh, Share with our audience, please, everything, where people can find you, where they can find your music. Uh, and thank you so much, of course, for joining us on this episode. Yeah. It was just as fun. Yeah, thank as you for I having me. I had be. a blast. Yeah, so I got TikTok going on. Got a lot of series on there. Do a lot of my sort of creative video content. Also, some instructional video content on there. Um, launching my Twitch channel, uh, I believe next week. Uh, have a single that came out um, last Friday. Premiered in Guitar World as an essential guitar track. Ooh. It's called Polyjuice Potion. Uh, it's an instrumental. You can check it out on. Spotify, YouTube. Um, I'm just at Dre Demira on all socials. 
Uh, so you can find me out there. I'm going to have some new music coming out um, throughout the summer as well. And uh, tons of videos and live streams and stuff. So come check me out online. And if you see me anywhere in real life, you please come say hello to me. Um, I get a lot of messages from people that say they saw me somewhere and then they were they didn't want to say hello or they were shy. I'm like, please, you know, I sit behind a screen all day. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to know that there's like people in the real world that are moved and affected by the... <laughs> yeah. The the content I'm putting out. Don't be afraid to say hey. Dre wants you to debate the merits of Jimmy Page's guitar playing with him. <laughs> Absolutely. Come up and tell in him the, that Jimmy Page is no lot. good. He's too sloppy. That's the kind of find me at the gas station and we'll we'll talk about it over a Gatorade <laughs> and a Twix. <laughs> awesome. And that's gonna do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to listen to every song from this episode and dig into even more air guitar songs, be sure to check out this episode's playlist in our show notes. Remember to head to soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. And if you want to get in touch with the show with any theme suggestions, feedback, or comments, you can drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. A huge thank you to Dre Demura for joining us on this episode. And as a special treat, we're going to play this one out with a snippet from their latest release, Polyjuice Potion. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.